series. I promise you we're finishing this series, okay? Because I've been finishing this series for the last three sermons. Um, it's a series called We Can Be Heroes, and it's an impromptu series. We weren't planning it, but just like all superhero movie franchises, we're milking it for all it's worth. We are just going to keep putting in another sequel. Um, so hopefully, this will be the last in the, in the series of We Can Be Heroes. But we've been really looking at this whole area of faith, this whole topic of faith, about keeping our faith in the midst of shifting circumstances, shifting culture, shifting crisis. When everything says God cannot be trusted, how do we be a people that say, no, he actually can be trusted? When everything we look at around us says you should start doubting this God that you worship, we can stand firm and say, no, no, we don't need to doubt because we know who God is and he is faithful. And so we've been using Hebrews 11 for those that have grown up in church or know, know the Bible well, you'll know this is the faith chapter, just this amazing chapter of faith. It's in the New Testament, we call it, and um, it's, it's been the launch pad of this series um, where uh, the writer, who scholars debate who the writer is, some will argue it's Paul, others, maybe Barnabas or Apollo, uh, Apollos, but it doesn't really matter who the author was. Ultimately, the Spirit of God is the author, and he is speaking into uh, a group of people who are struggling. And the writer starts writing about all these heroes of the faith. Abraham, who went out not knowing where he was going, but he stepped out in faith. And Moses, who led the people out of Egypt. Anyone seen the film The Prince of Egypt? Okay, we're doing well. <laughs> I felt like I was on my own then. Don't do that to me, because I will preach all afternoon. So, uh, and Joshua, who, who came to this impenetrable city, and the, the walls came tumbling down because he had faith that God would come through on who he was. And verse 32 of chapter 11, we just use this as a kind of uh, a, a, a launch pad for this series. And it says this. It'll come up on the screen at some point, hopefully. Verse 32. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. Isn't that amazing? By faith. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. Just an amazing chapter. Amazing few verses. But I just wonder, I said this back in week one, which was Father's Day. I just wonder if some of you read those verses and hear those words and you respond a little bit like me. Great for them, not going to happen in my life. I mean, I think of Abraham, Moses, David, Joshua, and I'm like, wow, they are the heroes of the faith but not me. Not a chance can I shut the mouths of lions, quench the flames of fire, and escape death by the edge of the sword. I mean, I'm scared of roller coasters. It's the kind of level that I'm working at. I need faith to be able to step up onto that queue just to go onto a roller coaster, let alone face fire, lions, and swords. It's great for them, but I'm not sure that's the journey I've got. And so we can be tempted in that moment to say, well, then I give up. I can't live like that, so I may as well give up. And that's exactly where this original audience, the writer to the Hebrews, is writing to Jewish believers, hence the name Hebrews. He's writing to these early Jewish followers. All the followers of uh, the early church were Jewish people. And he's writing to them and he's saying, guys, you are facing struggle. You're facing trials. Don't give up. Stay strong. 
So all these Jewish believers had come to believe that Jesus was their Messiah. He was the Savior. He was everything that their Jewish ancestry was looking for and seeking for. It was found in Jesus. But because of their decision to follow Christ, they were facing discrimination, persecution, even execution. So he starts to tell these stories. Stories of people that, let's be honest, not any other story in the history of mankind would we choose these people to be our heroes. When we look at Abraham, he convinced his wife to lie for him. When we look at Moses, he, he blatantly just ignored what God asked him to do. And we look at David. <laughs> well, if we look at the life of David, we've got murder, adultery, and then look at the legacy of his children. It was rape and it just violence and it just went from bad to worse. And these church are our heroes. Some of you are like, I didn't realize that. Doesn't sound much like Superman to me. An unlikely bunch, but the Bible makes it clear, and I love what Pat said this morning. They're the heroes of the faith, not because they were perfect, but because they kept the faith. That when they messed up, they kept the faith. When things were against them, they kept the faith. Even when they faced lions and fire and sword, what did they do? They kept the faith. Church, we can be heroes. We can be heroes. And that's the whole concept of this series, is that we can be heroes, not necessarily the heroes that get named in our culture. You know, we can think of heroes, Usain Bolt and Mo Farah and these sporting heroes, or we can even think of, of, of godly heroes like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. Do you know the heroes that David had? If you were with us for week one, Psalm 16, and we unpacked the whole of Psalm 16 uh, and drew some, some truths out of there. But in verse three of, verse, of Psalm 16, King David, inspired by the Spirit of God, he says this. He says, the godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. And clearly it's not yours. <laughs> the godly men in the land, the godly people in the land are my true heroes and I take pleasure in them. David is listed as one of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, and his heroes are the unsung, the unnamed people of his generation, the godly in the land, those that had enough faith, if you read through Psalm 16, those who had enough faith to believe God no matter what they saw going on around them, those who will not give up, those who trust God and let it impact how they live their lives. These are our heroes' heroes. It's amazing, isn't it? The unnamed, the unsung. And if you've been tracking with us through this series, in the second part, we looked at some real heroes. I mean, we look at it and we go, yeah, they're heroes no matter what generation you're in. And it was the, the 30, David's 30 men of valor. Those 30 men that were his closest aides. But we saw three of them in 1 Chronicles 11. Three of them decide to go above and beyond. And they serve the king in fetching water from behind enemy lines. And they saw the impossible become possible because they were willing to start serving. We can be heroes. We can see the impossible in our lives just by simply step by step doing that which is possible. And when we look back, we suddenly go, gosh, that which seemed impossible. Look at it. It's there. And then in the third, uh, third installment of this series, we looked at Matthew 15 and the feeding of the 4,000. You can get all of these talks on our website. But the feeding of the 4,000, just we looked at what faith actually means. That faith is more than just what you believe and more than your convictions. Because so often what we believe and what we hold to is, is, is within us because of what we see around us. But faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. 
And so often our circumstances will say one thing, but we have to dig deep past our conviction and past our belief into the area of faith, which is in the realm of the unseen. And I, I, I think there's, there's people in our church that God is saying to you, you need to stand in front of that 4,000 people with all that you've got, which just seems not enough. It is seven loaves and a few small fish. And you're like, what, I'm meant to feed 4,000 people with this? And Jesus is saying, yes. Do you trust me? Now step out. We can be heroes. And so the last uh, talk that I said was going to be the final talk, which has turned out to be the penultimate talk, um, we, uh, we looked at Judges 3. And Judges 3 is this amazing verse where it says that God actually left some enemies in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Cana. And that we see that faith is a fight. Faith is a good fight, Timothy, uh, Paul says to the young Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. That actually God in his sovereignty is allowing some things in your life because without it, your faith is not going to get deeper. And some of us find that we think, God, why are you testing me? Why are you making it so hard? And he's saying, Do you know what? I'm deepening your faith. And there's some enemies in the land because without that, you're not going to be who I need you to be. Summer is always mayhem, but we love the kids. So if it's tough for you, um, apologies. And so this morning, dive into the book of Hebrews. We're going to end where we started. I promise this is the end. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm just going to read just two, two or three verses from Hebrews chapter 10. And it says this in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Guys, can I just pray? Is that okay? Father God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that we have your word, that when we don't know what you're saying and we can't hear your voice, you've given us your voice. You've given us your word. So Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, will you do what only your spirit can do this morning, which is meet each one of us right where we're at. Just speak into our hearts. Speak deep within us that as we leave this place, we'd be more like you than when we walked in. In Jesus' name, amen. I love this passage in Hebrews. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. I love it because it is encouraging, but it's a really British verse. Let me explain. It's really encouraging, but there's an undercurrent of discouragement. <laughs> the Americans are laughing because they understand what us Brits are like. We can both build up and knock down in a single sentence. So it is encouraging, but there's a real undercurrent of discouragement. <coughs> that the only reason someone would tell us to hold on to something is if because there's other people that are letting go. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. I love that word, unswervingly. It's kind of, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's, uh, what's the word? It's an onomatopoeic word, isn't it? Kind of, the, the sound of the word is like the word itself. Because it has the word swerving in it. Hold unswervingly would suggest that that which we're meant to be holding on to is swerving. If we hold unswervingly to something, the very thing we're holding on to, therefore, is swerving here, there, and everywhere. There's no point in holding unswervingly to something that isn't swerving. I think I've said the word swerving enough now to sound weird. 
Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Other translations say, let us hold uh, uh, firm to the profession of faith. I just wonder if we see faith a little bit like the two different sexes approach shopping. Go with me. Do you know there's a very different approach to shopping, isn't there? I'm doing mass generalizations, but I am allergic to shopping. Okay, Cara gave up shopping with me a long time ago because I seem to have just like this toddler reaction to shopping. That when we're in a shop, I just start yawning, my eyes start streaming, and my legs kind of lose the ability to move, especially clothes shopping. I can't stand it. Because we've got a different approach to shopping. I make a list, and that's all I'm going in for. If I get a message partway through, it's, it's, it ruins my day because it's like, this is what I was coming in for, and I've got to go for that as well. And so for me, it's like, I'm going in, I'm getting what I need. I'm not browsing. I can't cope with browsing. Whereas Cara's approach to shopping is, I'm just going to go and shop for the day. Not that you get to do that very often these days, but it's like, what are you going to buy? I don't know. Just go and browse. And I wonder if we approach our faith like that. Look, let's just watch this video. Is the difference between men and women shopping. That's it. And I wonder if we approach faith and we think faith is like a man shopping. We just go in, life's easy, let's get it done and let's get the reward and go. But I wonder if faith actually is more like a woman shopping. It is all over the place. It is chaotic. It is frantic. To any of us looking in, it makes no sense whatsoever. It is swerving. There are any kind of multiple directions. I wonder if faith is more like that, that it is exhausting. It is swerving. It's filled with twists and turns. See, the early Jewish followers uh, that, uh, uh, that this writer is, is writing to, they are tempted to give up the faith, not because following Jesus was getting boring. Not because they were like, I need just a little bit more excitement in my life. The reason they were tempted to pull away was because their faith, the minute they chose faith, they said yes to Jesus, things went from bad to worse. Things just got chaotic, like the kids in this church just got mad. If you want to, we have got the room opposite that you can kind of crash into and uh, leave the doors open so you can hear if you want to. But as we read through the book of Hebrews, it becomes so evident that the original audience had faced persecution in the past. And it, it becomes really clear that some of them were suffering in the present. And the, the writer is making it really clear that some of them, maybe even more severely, are going to suffer in the future. Has your life gotten more complicated since you said yes to Jesus? You're like, boy, I remember a time, if you came to faith like later on in life, I remember a time when I just did what I felt was good. And it was a lot easier then. Life was so much more simple. Now there seems to be like shades of grey and at, at, at school it's like I want to be somebody but everyone else is trying to make me somebody else or at home it's just like I, I had this picture perfect life that it was going to be when Jesus came in and, and it's kind of all become a mess and the people in my life are not who I thought they were going to be and at work it's like I hand my expenses in and everyone says you seem very low why don't you just boost them up a bit because I only claim for the miles that I've actually done. Does things start getting a little bit more complicated when you started saying yes to Jesus, let us hold unswervingly. Suggest the faith that we hold to is full of bends and moments where we're going to be tempted to let go because it just feels so hard to hold on. 
And the problem is that so many people get sold this commitment to Jesus, this escalator faith, where we just stand there and it just gets up and up and gets better and better with very little effort on our own part, very little exercise on our part. And when God is for us, who can be against us? We're just going to rise above it all and ascend to our reward. I need 10 people, around 10 people. Can I have, we've got one there. It's going to involve movement. We've got a pregnant, maybe not pregnant. Uh, I just want to put a caveat in place. Dislocated hips might be okay, but it might get worse. Um, Come forward. I need some others. Come on, Mary. Phil, you're volunteering. Come on, Trevor, you're going to come forward then? I saw you move. There we go. Well, okay, we've got enough. Okay. Trevor, you can be the lead guy, okay? So what I need you to do is you're going you're to face this way, okay? And I need you to, you to hold Trevor's shoulders. You hold Lorraine's shoulders. Hold each shoulder of the person in front of you, okay? Now, Trevor, what I want you to do is this. I want you to go quite quickly, okay? Now, you guys, you've all got to hold on as best you can, all right? Just hold on. I want you just to run around the room. Any direction, down, round, anywhere you want. Just watch cables, watch kids, but just go, okay? Go. Yep. Oh, it's broken already. Okay, slow down. Let them join back up. Let them join back up. Try and, try and hold tight if you can. <laughs> we do need like the Benny Hill music, don't we? Okay, go. Oh, you are really fast. Try and join up again. Come on. Let's see if we can get one lap. Maybe start a little bit slower and build up. Okay? Go for it. And then change direction and just surprise people with where you're going. Oh, oh. <laughs> Guys, let's give them a clap. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to hold on. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Three things that I just want to pull out of this, these few verses is this. For us to be heroes, we need to hold tight. Let us hold unswervingly. It's easier said than done, isn't it, when something in front of you seems like it's moving so quickly. When, when, when one person seems to know where they're going and nobody else has a clue, it's like, whoa, what's going on? It's going much quicker than I thought it was going to go. It's hard to hold on when something is swerving so much. I love the message version of verse 23. It says, let us keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. See, so much about our life would seek to take our eyes off the promises of God. So much about the world that we encounter tries to shift our sight away from the promises of God, which Scripture says keep us going. It's the promises of God that keep us going. But instead of holding tight to the promises of God, we're like, we're like Lorraine trying to hold on to Trevor, and it's just like, whoa, it's gone. Something's happened in my life, and whoa, it's gone. And it's really hard to hold on. And when we're not holding tight, that bend suddenly comes. And something unexpected happens and we're knocked for six and we wonder why God's deserted us. Why it feels like he's no longer with us in those moments when we needed him the most and we're tempted to give up. I want us just to look in parallel with Matthew 14. This amazing story of a guy called Peter. It's almost so known by those of us that have grown up in church that we've become over familiar with it. But Jesus tells his disciples to go off into a boat and cross this large lake called Galilee. 
And Jesus goes off to the mountainside to pray. But partway across the lake, the wind picks up. And the geography of the land was such that it kind of created a funnel that the wind would whip down the valley and shoot across Galilee. And, and, and storms would just come up so quickly. And the disciples find themselves expectedly in one of these storms. And Matthew 14, verse 24, it says, And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? See, when a, a sudden turn, when something in the journey suddenly comes against the disciples, this storm comes they're clearly filled with fear because as Jesus is walking on the lake towards them, they think it's a ghost. I find that fascinating. It's amazing what we see when we let go of the promises of God, that even Jesus starts to look like something that he's not. We start to doubt the person of Jesus. But Peter cries out, if it's you, prove it. Call me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. Amazing is the act of faith as we step out of the boat. But let me tell you, that is not the only moment when great faith is needed. In fact, in my life, I find the moments once I've stepped out of the boat, that's when I need great faith. When everything around me is swirling, when everything's swerving, when everything is making no sense whatsoever, when I'm stood on the water and the wind and waves are against me, that's when I need to hold tight. That's when I need to hold unswervingly. And Peter looks up and he, he says he sees the wind. It's funny, isn't it? In those moments when everything's swerving, what we actually see, because it's actually impossible to see the wind, isn't it? What Peter's actually seeing is the effects of the wind. He's seeing the waves. And if you track back a few chapters before in Matthew 8, we actually see that Jesus is sovereign over the waves. Because there's a moment when the disciples are with Jesus and he's sleeping at the front of the boat and they're in the storm and the waves are battering against them. And Jesus calms that storm. He says, I'm sovereign over the waves. But in that moment, as Peter's stepping out, he's filled with fear. Because when we're not filled with faith, we'll be filled with fear. And when those turns get sharper, when fear starts to rise, we need to profess the hope that we cling to all the more. When everything within us wants to doubt all the more, we need to declare who God is all the more. And the reward in those moments is that we see the faithfulness of God on a level that we would never have experienced otherwise. We had Canon Andrew White with us last week. What an amazing, he's an amazing guy, isn't he? He is as bonkers as the day is long, but he is amazing. And uh, uh, Phil was interviewing. Can I just publicly congratulate Phil on interviewing Canon Andrew White? I gave him a warning. I've seen more senior men in the church interview Canon Andrew White and crumble uh, more than Phil did. He did very well interviewing uh, the loose Canon. And... Um, he was great. And he asked him a question about faith, what faith looked like in the midst of uh, like ISIS coming in on you. For those that don't know, he's, he was the vicar of Baghdad, a uh, vicar of St. George's Church in Baghdad. Um, and and uh, Justin Welby actually removed him and asked him to leave that because of the threat that was on his life. And he said in response to that question, he said, when all you have is Jesus, 
Jesus regularly shows up. It's interesting. But as the guys ran around this room, how close they were determined how good they could hold on. So as, as, as Trevor sets off, it's like, whoa, lost the grip. Lost, lost my grip there. But if you were attached to Trevor, if you were so close that it's like you couldn't actually let go, you were so close to him, then no matter where Trevor goes, actually if we had more space and, uh, and we're able to do it a bit better, then I wonder if the ones at the back, it would like the, if you can imagine the swerve would just get even more exaggerated because the length that somebody is away from something, if, if at the front it's really tight turns, you can kind of stick with it, but as you're further back, that bend gets accentuated, doesn't it? And it's like you're suddenly covering so much more ground. See, my second point is this. We need to hold tight, but we also need to lean in. If we want to be heroes, we hold tight, but we lean in. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let's hold tight. But let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We lean in. See, I remember as a teenager, there were some people that were in my life, and I've spoken about these people in in sermons gone by. There's one guy called Arthur. And he doesn't even know it. He probably does now. He's in glory. But he was a hero of the faith to me. Because when he went through some big stuff in his life, his wife was dying. I looked at his life and was like, how does that not seem to affect you? It's like you've either got a heart of stone or there's something different about you. And I can tell you by, by getting close to him and knowing him, he did not have a heart of stone. He had one of the softest hearts of anybody I've ever met. But for some reason, that twist and that bend in his life didn't seem to impact him as much as I thought it should. And when I asked him, how do you stay so strong? His response was, as it often was with any question I asked him, was, I didn't realize I was that strong. See, Arthur had done years of leaning into Jesus, of getting as close to Jesus as he possibly could. So when that tight curve came, he wasn't at the back of the line feeling a major shift. What he was was so close to the one that was leading his path that as it moved, he was with it and it didn't feel that much of a swerve because he knew what it was to lean in. And how did he lean in? He loved and he served. Let us consider how we can love and spur one another on towards love and good deeds. See, he didn't wait around for everybody else to love and serve him. He got on loving and serving. And that meant when he went through some of the toughest times in his life, there was a whole gaggle of people that he'd been busy loving and serving that came and gathered around him and loved and served him. See, we're responsible for the person at the end of the line. If they're part of the line, we're part of their journey. The person next to you right now who might be going through a massive swerve in their life, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And what I find it funny is, it's not funny in the slightest, it's, it's quite scary really, how those that may be further up the line that are, have spent years following Jesus, we, we look back at those that are struggling with the swerve and we feel like we need to speak into their life some truth about why they're swerving so much, about why they're struggling, about why their behavior is causing them to feel so knocked off. Same happened with Peter. 
Peter loses sight of Jesus in verse 30, but look at what Jesus does. He says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Cue the church, who then would go, I can see you drowning, Peter. Uh, Just whilst you're drowning, let me just sit down here on the waves next to you and tell tell you why you're drowning. Let me give you a little bit of a three-point lesson as to why you feel like you're drowning and why your behavior has led you to drowning. I can give you the Hebrew and the Greek word for lifeboat, like that's going to help. But what does Jesus do? It says immediately in verse 31, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And then Jesus says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? See, it's not until Jesus has allowed Peter to feel the safest he has ever felt in the middle of this storm, as Jesus grabs his hand and says, I've got you. Immediately, he grabbed out his hand and held on to Peter. It's at that moment then that Jesus starts to bring some correction. It's not in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his drowning. Speaking the truth in love. It's in Ephesians 4, verse 15, somewhere around there, I think. We take that and we think, speak the truth in love. So I've got to speak. I've got to to speak it. If God's given it to me, I've got to share it, no matter where they are. If they're in the middle of drowning, that's their problem with God. They've got to take it up with God. But God's given me something that I've got to speak the truth in love. But I wonder if it's speak the truth in love. You know that Greek word is agape. We've studied that as a church. It's about self-sacrificial action love that steps in, isn't self-serving, but just gives. I wonder if... Uh, people in this church, as, we'd, as we've come across uh, uh, those that are swerving, actually what they don't need is our voice. What they need is our hand to immediately go in and help them lean towards Jesus. And I think it takes less voice than we think it does. Let me tell you, when you speak the truth in love and you're speaking it, what you're saying might be right. But can I tell you something? It may not be that helpful. And I'm not sure as the church we're called to be right. I think we're called to serve. God so loved the world that he came and he told everybody why they weren't going to be good enough to get into heaven. That's not the most popular verse in the world. God so loved the world that he gave. See, the action of God's love was that he gave. He gave of himself and he caused humanity to get closer to God than they ever thought possible. Church, can you imagine a church where we serve each other like that? Where we love each other like that? Where we say, do you know what? Maybe I have sensed that there's something I need to speak into your life, but actually I'm just going to let that inform my prayer life and I'm just going to pray like crazy over you because God is going to do a work in you. And until that moment, I'm just going to love and I'm going to serve because I think something happens when we're that kind of people. When we, when we get preoccupied with loving and serving, something happens within the person that we are loving and serving. And they say, do you know what? I've received it now, I've got to give it. And I think the church could be those kind of heroes. See, the world is crying out for a savior and the church can get so preoccupied with looking for a standard. My third point is this. We need to hold tight. We need to lean in. And thirdly, we need to stay close. I got three points this morning. Somebody give me a whoop for preaching a proper sermon. (laughs) They don't all start with the same letter, I apologize, but I'm, I'm, I'm early, early on. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, we need to hold tight. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We need to lean in, and thirdly this, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. 
Third point is this, we need to stay close. Perhaps not the greatest weekend to be talking about meeting together, bank holiday. I don't want to give you a sense of self-righteousness that you're like, yeah, it's bank holiday and we're here. We, we've nailed our Christian faith this week because we're in church and it's a bank holiday. Can I just remind you the weather's shocking? But you know, there's some that haven't made it a habit to meet together. There was some in, uh, believe it or not, that, that this writer is writing to, that the reason he's writing this is because there's some that actually were alive when Jesus walked this planet and they, they decided they weren't making a habit of meeting together. Isn't that amazing? That the reason that the people started meeting together on a Sunday was because that's when Jesus rose from the dead and he met with his people. And then a week later, we see he arrives in this upper room and the disciples are there and he's there. And it seemed to be on Sunday that the, the, the followers of Jesus were encountering him. And so they said, well, if Jesus is going to meet us on a Sunday, we need to meet on a Sunday because we want to meet Jesus. But there were some who hadn't made that a habit. The temptation through the ages of Christianity is not to prioritize these moments. That it becomes the end of the week rather than the start of our week. And I don't want to knock anybody. But I just wonder if there's something about the community of faith where God is saying, don't give up meeting together. Something precious happens. And I wonder if uh, the, the expense of preaching the gospel that we are Christians all the time, we are filled with God, we are all the church all the time, that what we've done by preaching that message, which is totally right and we wholly believe it, is that we've devalued these times. When God actually says, I want to do something spe- special and specific amongst you. Church, we can be heroes when we have the habit of meeting together. And like any habit, it takes willpower and it takes time. Do you know, can I speak honestly? Pastors shouldn't admit this. So just keep it amongst yourselves. We'll just press hold on the recording. But there's some weeks I don't want to come to church. It's true. There's been seasons in my life when the last thing I wanted to do was come to church. Um, I, I, we used to walk, not, uh, live not that far from our church, and we used to walk, and I remember walking, and I'm like, Cara, I don't want to be there this morning. She's much more holy than me, and she's like, come on, dragging me by the scruff of my neck. We're going to church. And something has happened in my life, 34 years of creating a habit of going to church. In all three of those churches that I've been a part of, I have loved and I have served. And God has done some deep work in me. That when I didn't want to go, I'm stood there and I, I've spent years journeying alongside others that didn't want to go. And I look at them and I say, wow, they're worshipping Jesus. They're spurring me on. That in the season when I didn't want to be there, I looked and I went, wow, I remember when you went through this season. And that was only possible because I'd been journeying with them. We'd actually not given up the habit. When he went through the struggle or she went through the struggle, she didn't give up. And she spurred me on and he spurred me on that when I went through the struggle, I didn't want to give up. And together we made each other stronger. Because there's two gifts that Jesus gives us. He gives us himself and he gives us each other. Guys, tell you, you are a gift to me. That you turn up to say, we're going to prioritize these moments. There's some of us that were part of this church when there were nine of us. We didn't have enough cars to be able to get all the equipment to church. And I say, God, never let me get complacent when people make the choice to be together. Because something special happens. Oh, we're the church all the time. But something about these moments, something precious 
about these moments. Society would say, you're weak. It's a crutch. Well, let me just give you the definition of a crutch. I've gone completely off my notes, so give me two seconds. The crutch is a device for helping the wounded both function and heal. If we're a crutch, bring it on. If that's what we are, that we help the wounded function and heal, call me a crutch every day of the week. If that's what the church is, I'll take that. But don't you dare tell me that it's a weakness when I gather with people who are strong enough to say, I've not got it all together. Like Pat, who stood up and gave his testimony. Don't you dare tell me that it is a weakness to say, I need something more than myself. Because society would say, you can exist on your own. You're better on your own. You can do it and be stronger. We're never created to do it on our own. We're not at our best when we try and do it on our own. The truth is we are our best when we do it in community. We can be heroes when we decide to walk, limp, and crawl alongside those who are walking, limping, and crawling in the same direction, and we refuse to give up. Church, we can be heroes. It's been the message of this series. Because look what happens to the disciples. Peter, that moment of faith when he steps out and he's got all the confidence in the world, then he starts to sink I can imagine Peter's like, the last thing I want to do is see the disciples right now. So I just hide me in a cave. I've just started sinking. But what happens in verse 32 is, and they climb back in the boat, Jesus and Peter. The wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, truly you are the Son of God. What an amazing moment. In the midst of his failure, his brokenness, his lack of faith, he stayed close, he held tight, he leant in. And look what happened. The community of the disciples, faith gets deeper. Because Jesus is a gift to us, but you are all a gift to me. And we are a gift to each other. So guys, I'm I'm landing the plane here. Let's just close our eyes. My question is this. Do we accept the gift of God this morning? And there's two gifts. There's the gift of Jesus himself, who gave himself up as a ransom for all, that laid his life down. There's that moment of faith where we say, I need to take a step across this line. And you may have been coming to church for a long time, or maybe you're new here first thing this morning, and and it's like, I, I, I rarely step in church. And I wonder if Jesus is saying to you this morning, will you take that step of faith? Will you accept who I am? Or maybe you have been accepting of who he was, but in recent months or years, it's like you know you've not been holding on tight. You know you've not been leaning in and you know you've not been staying close. I just wonder if there's an opportunity now where Jesus is stood before you and he's saying, do you accept that gift? Because that's where it starts. And so as every head is bowed, I, I, I want to do something a little bit differently this morning. What I want to ask you to do, if that's where you find yourself this morning, that it's about accepting that first gift, I want you to say one very simple prayer. But I want you to say, it doesn't have to be so everybody can hear it around you, but just say it so there's a little bit of breath that goes out through your voice box and out through your mouth and it makes sound. We call it speaking. And it makes sound. But I just want you to say this words. 
Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Now, that's not all you need to say to Jesus. But that's where it starts. That's where this adventure of faith starts. We're saying, Jesus, I give you my life. And if you said that this morning, please go and grab me because I would love to pray with you. Grab anyone that looks like they know what they're doing in the church because they probably know more than me. Just pray. But there's others. Maybe that step is too big for you or or maybe you've been part of the church for a long time and and Jesus is saying this morning, there's a second gift that I want to give you. And is it accepting that those around you are part of the gift and you are a gift to them? So I want to encourage you, come back next week, make it a habit, make a commitment today to say, do you know what, no matter what happens this week, I'm not going to wait until Sunday morning next week to look in my diary and see how busy stuff is. I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to make a commitment to say, do you know what, I can be there and spur some people on, no matter what season of life I'm in. And there's going to be others that are here right now who are feeling like you're feeling potentially in a week's time. And they are here and they're going to spur you on. We make a commitment right now. And we say, you know what? Whatever happens, whether I believe this thing or not, something different about this space, there's something different about this place. I'm going to commit. And I say to you, just, just give God a month. Just give God a month. Commit for a month to his people and see what he does. And if that's you, just in your heart right now, just say to Jesus, Jesus, I give you my life. Because the minute we do this, that's the minute our faith starts to grow. As our love for others grow, it's the minute we start to become heroes. Because the bends and the turns and the twists and the swerves will come in your life. But God will give you everything and everyone you need to stay close, to lean in, and to hold tight. And so church, we're going to finish. And if you'd like to receive some prayer, please, we love to pray here. So if you want to just come and uh, at the front here, we, we can pray with you. Uh, maybe you made a commitment for the first time. We've got a bag that we'd love to give you some stuff in it that you can read through. Um, and we'd love to connect you up with the stuff that we have outside of just a Sunday. Uh, we believe in doing life together. And so we have connect groups and loads of things happening. Uh, and so you can become a part of that. But we're not going to finish with the classic song, okay? What I'm going to ask is, how about you commit right now? And you say, you know what, I, I'm going to do what I never do and I'm going to stay around for just like 10 or 15 minutes at the end of church and I'm going to have a coffee and I'm going to chat to somebody. And I'm actually going to ask them, how are things? I'm actually going to say, who are you? I don't know your name. How about I introduce myself? Because as we're growing, God is bringing people in and you are a gift to me and I'm a gift to you and we're a gift to each other. So let me just close in prayer. God, I thank you for your community. I thank you for your church. I thank you that you are active today and you want to move today. So Lord, even as we draw this service to a close, our community does not draw to a close. Lord, you have been doing something special this morning and you have been rebuilding some ancient ruins and I feel like today is a day for some that it is like there's, there's a testimony that's coming based on the decisions to say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life to say, I I give you my life, to say, I'm going to commit to to who these people are. And so, Lord, we just hand our lives over to you. 
take it and make it something beautiful for the extension of your kingdom and the glory of your name. And everybody said, amen. Guys, the kettle is on. The drinks have brewed. So enjoy. uh, And we'll see you at 10.30 next week. Oh, see, I knew I'd forgotten something. I'm glad some people are spiritual. What we'll do is we'll leave the offering at the front here on this music stand. And uh, if you want to give this morning, um, can I say we were able to give uh, about 800 pounds to Andrew White last week because of your generosity. The month of generosity where you gave eight and a half thousand pounds. We gave 800 pounds to Andrew last week for his ministry and what he's doing. And so I want to thank you for your generosity. It is reaching the ends of the earth. So as you give, it's not just uh, some pounds into a bucket. It is, it is lives into the kingdom. So give and give generously. Thank you, church. Uh, And next time here, 10.30, God bless.